What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner on this big Fed day in front and center. That is where we start. The Fed, the focus on whether the central bank is back to being a friend of the bulls. We're going to find out in just a couple hours, obviously. The committee getting you set no matter what they do later on and no matter what they say. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Surat Sethi, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. Obviously, a little bit of a wait and see. We are green modestly as we head in there. All right, Joe, we're at the highest levels of the year for stocks. The PPI was benign, better than expected on core and headline. The 10 years at 416. What's going to happen later today? In the words of Fed Governor Christopher Waller, something's got to give because the market is expecting 100 basis points worth of cuts in 2024. And I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to signal that they're going to give those 100 basis points of cuts. What's interesting to me is... I really wanted, boy, I'd love to be in that press conference. I'd love to be able to ask the first question to Chairman Powell, which would be, in your internal discussions, were you at least thinking about thinking about cutting rates? <laughs> Are we going to get another thinking about thinking about? Are you about? thinking about thinking <laughs> about cutting rates? Yeah. What was the internal discussion? I understand what the public statement is going to look like, but what really went on inside of that room? Because there's such a divergence between what the market is signaling the path is going to be in 2024. And in fact, what we absolutely know the Federal Reserve is going to be saying today, which is going to lean towards being hawkish. I mean, there's some time for the Fed and the market to get on the same page. Uh, Bryn, what are your expectations today? It, it's all going to come down to the, the tone, the demeanor, uh, you know, from the Fed chair more than, you know, anything that they're expected to do, which is nothing. Right. I think it'll be interesting in the Q&A. I think here's two things. The Fed has said they're going to be data dependent, and I think they will continue to be data dependent. I know back in October, certain Fed presidents were like, well, the 10 years above five, so that's doing some of the Fed's tightening. Well, now the 10 years at what, 416, 412, 415? So is now the 10-year the doing some of the Fed's easing? So you really can't have that both ways. We've totally reverted back on the 10-year. I also think that we still have this bias of the last 15 years that all of a sudden we're going to just cut rates and go back to these go-go years. But when you go back, Scott, five decades, the actually average between Fed funds and CPI, is Fed funds has been a solid 240 basis points above CPI, with the exception of like two years during 01 and 02, and then post GFC. And so if you look where we are today, we're kind of in that area. 
And so I don't think the Fed is, or Jay Powell is even remotely going to say, we're going to start cutting rates in March. And so I think the market has definitely, or a lot of stocks have priced in, especially like mid-cap and small-cap growth stocks have priced into that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm looking forward to is just like not talking about the Fed and being excited about the market because earnings are getting better or margins are getting better versus all of everything's being priced into the year-end price target of the S&P is based on the Fed doing X, Y, and Z. That's just not healthy. And so I want to see go back to talking about earnings growth, companies doing well, and less mm-hmm. about the Fed because I still think that's going to put a ceiling on stocks as long as the Fed is an active participant, because I do not think they will be participating in rate cuts anytime soon unless an event occurs, which all all, all bets are off at that point. All right. Well, I mean, we'll see if you get your wish. I'm going to get to, to, to Weiss and Surratt in just a minute, but let's bring in our senior economics correspondent, Steve Leisman, because he's got a finite period of time here before he's got to really get ready for what happens later this afternoon. So, Steve, I mean, you posted um, on threads today, essentially, if the Fed is as data dependent as Bryn suggests they are, then they should be thinking about cuts at this point because inflation, as you said, your words, is falling everywhere. Yeah, except for in the CPI. And even if you look, I'm especially interested in the CPI X shelter because that shelter component of the CPI is pretty lousy. And if you look at some of the data we had today, some of the data in Zillow, some other data from the BLS or the Cleveland Fed, rents are coming down. Uh, but if you take out rent from the CPI, the uh, Fed is below its um, its forecast, and the other rent data shows that rents are falling. So um, my concern is that a data-dependent Fed is making decisions based upon bad or at least outmoded data. Mm. Um, I agree with what you said to Joe, though. I think Joe's question is a good one. There is time for the market and the Fed to come together. If you look at where those cuts are, kind of in May, maybe a little bit in March, depends on where it is. But over the next several months, look, I think a question for today, Joe's is a good one. I'm not saying it's a bad one. I don't mean to diss his question, but <laughs> hey, you've been um, you, you've been on hold for four months. If you don't hike today, you're going to be on hold through January. That'll be six months. Is it fair to say you've reached this sufficiently restrictive level? The thing about um, Joe's question, which is a good one, I think I said that already, is it skips a step. They've got to be in neutral before they can cut, and they've not even declared their neutrality yet as to raising rates. Uh, He can keep holding out this idea that we could be hiking still. So I think he's got to declare neutral before he starts to declare cuts. He's going to have to be careful in the way that he answers, you know, questions from you and the other journalists in, in the room. Part of me wonders, you know, I know this is far-fetched, I'll raise it anyway, uh, whether he joins Waller in any way in saying the quiet part out loud, as you so perfectly put it, when Mr. Waller said what he did, or if he goes out of his way to push back on the notion, which would seem a little silly, to be honest with you, given what happened with the PPI today and what you just laid out for the inflation picture and where it's trending and the lags that exist there that you think will work in the favor of the Fed and everybody else. Yeah, well, um, if he's not prepared for that question, he he needs a new PR team, Scott. That is not a far-fetched question. The Fed governor said it. Uh, He's a respected economist and expected monetary monetary policy expert. Um, The Treasury secretary said it. Uh, that and, and it's just one of those things that's true. So he's going to have to answer that question today. As inflation comes down, 
will you have to cut necessarily? There's another sort of related question there, Scott, which has to do with the idea that are you more or less tight than you thought you were going to be or needed to be? Because as you see, Scott, inflation is coming in so far this year below the Fed's own expectation, which right. means the Fed is essentially tighter than they had planned they were going to be on a real or inflation-adjusted basis. So that's another reason for cutting. The other thing out there, which I think is the market's ace in the hole that we talked about uh, a couple days ago, is the idea that the base effects are going to help. There's two big numbers in January and February from last year that are going to drop out of the calculation, a couple zero fours in there. The other thing that's happening today, Scott, I think you might have heard or read some of this, is that people are dropping their outlook for the PCE forecast next week because of what was in today's PPI. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be fair, too. The, the economy is also stronger than it, at this point than the Fed expected it to be. So it cuts both ways. They've gotten their kind of outlook for inflation a little but bit offside. But not the economic, and, yeah. And, and the, the economic one a little bit, bit too. Steve, I'm going to let you run. I'm going to kick it around with the committee. I know you cool. got to get ready for the big event, which I'll see you on the other side of. Right. And I look forward to doing that. Steve Leisman. So, Thanks. Steve Weiss. Um, what about what, what Leesman was saying and what the risks may be to what the Fed chair does? I mean, the, the data seems to be kind of undeniable at this point where it's heading. Well, the data today was undeniable. BPI clearly is weakening, which is good. CPI, it was a different story. It was sort of okay. The question is, is there enough in those two reports to get Powell to say something that he hasn't been saying before? So. But I look at it regardless of what he says, regardless of how he answers the questions or his opening comments, you've got to look at the dot plot. And right now, the dot plot is calling for two cuts back half of next year and then five cuts in 24, so uh, in 25. So does that get pulled forward? Does it get increased in terms of the cuts mm -hmm. for next year or not? That's really going to tell the story. What if it all me. comes down to one question in the right. news conference and one question only? Mm -hmm. Mr. Chairman, Fed Governor Waller suggested that right. if inflation continues to come down in the way it is, then we'll cut. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Right. How he answers that question, I could make the argument, is everything well, today. Right. And the only thing, because it's going to lead you to believe that he is on that page, that he himself is thinking about cutting because he believes that inflation is going to come down towards target. Um, and if he pushes back on it, you'll say, well, I don't know. So what he would say to that, if he's asked that question, it's a good question. going to be asked in some and form an obvious by somebody. Question exactly to ask. He would say, we're reviewing. We're going to review the data as it comes in. We've got a couple of good points. Uh, data points, and we do see some slowing the economy. So we will look at the data as it comes in revised. He may come out and say, and what would be changing, game-changing in terms of the market for the rest of the month is if he removes that, that uh, comment that we could still hike, right? There may be another hike. So that's going to be the only phrase you should be looking for, because everything else is just really him massaging the dialogue, that and the dot plots. Surat, I mean, the, the the market's done a lot since the last Fed meeting. These are good points to make, I think, at, at this juncture. Um, whether you want to take this as financial conditions have eased uh, because rates have come down so much, the 10-year, and stocks have rallied so much. The S&P is up near 10% since the Fed meeting in November, the best intermeeting period since August of 2009. Thank you, Bespoke, for that stat today. The rally has broadened a lot since the last meeting. The equal weight S&P is up near 12 percent. 
S&P itself is up less than, little less than 10. Lagging sectors like real estate, uh, financials, discretionary have done quite well. Um, so how do you see that impacting what he might say and what the bias could be moving forward? Yeah, and, and I think the reason you've seen these sectors actually come back and the equal weighted, which is a good signal, the broadening, is because rates have come down. And if he doesn't change his tune and he kind of says, hey, higher for longer, you're going to see some of those sectors give back those gains because they're baking in lower rates, mm -hmm. right? That's a, when, when you have higher rates, money moves away from real estate, from financials, uh, even, you know, uh, uh, utilities for that matter, right? So, but if he moves to what Steve was saying, not this Steve, the other smarter Steve, what, what he was saying, go to neutral. Thank you for the distinction. Okay, I didn't want our viewers to be confused. Um, you know, if he goes to neutral, I think that will help the market as well, because that is, as Steve was saying, the next leg to go. From there, you can go down, because if you go straight to down, people are going to say, are we missing something? And is more data out there that we don't know. What if today Bryn is, ends up being one of these big, much talked about non-events that he, you know, they're not going to do anything and he doesn't really dissuade the market from thinking what it does right now. Is that a, is that a rally point? yippee ki then, right? The markets are going to keep going higher if that's the case because the animal spirits, the energy in the market is to go higher. And until he says something to the contrary, I think the path of least resistance is to continue to grind higher until the end of the year. And then we'll see what comes in 2024. I do think he will sprinkle in some reality that they are not going to be cutting rates as quickly as the market anticipates. I think this, the cuts in March, I'm going to guess, become lower after this meeting, unless, to Steve Leesman's point, they say we're going to go to neutral, which that's a really good, I'm so glad he pointed that out, because that definitely would be another signal for the markets to go higher. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what everyone's look, what they're looking for is in August of 2022, Jackson Hole eight minute moment where Chairman Powell looks at what markets, to your point, has done since November and says, OK, wait a second. They want that moment. Didn't want to, we, we need to step those eight we, minutes. Right? Well, that's we need to step Market on that, didn't like right? that. We need to step on that. We need to make sure that markets, to Bryn's point, we, we need to reverse a lot of this energy in the animal spirits. I can't see that you're going to get that today unless one thing happens. And that one thing would be the Chairman Powell stands in front of everyone today and says the possibility for another 25 basis point rate hike is still in play. That's going to, you know what's yeah. going to happen if he, if, if he says that? Then we're going to be back, Weiss, to the conversation like, what are they looking at? Right. Right. What are they possibly mm -hmm. looking at that would lead them to believe that they would have to potentially hike again? There's a difference between, all right, we don't want to make the same mistakes as the 70s, so we're just going to keep rates here for a while right. mm -hmm. to make sure, a 3,000% sure, that we're good before we do anything. But if they start talking about more cuts, <clears throat> why would they do that? Hikes. hikes. I mean hikes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thank here, you. Here's why they would do that. Because the market, when you take a look at what the bond market has done, what rates have done over the last quarter, they've come down measurably. Yes, yeah, so has inflation. So, well, true. It has. True. It has. It has, but the economy really hasn't. We're still seeing, with the exception of well, it's the last couple a bit, jobs, though. it has softened. But the question is, is it on a sustainable path? 
That's the question that really matters the most. So that's why they would do it. They would do it to keep the market honest because the market where real rates are is not where he is and not where the Fed is, not what the Fed wants to see. So it's coming down, it's coming down in a measurable fashion. The economy, we have the debate on here all, all the time, is the economy slowing? Some people say, no, it's not something. Some people like Jenny say, no, the consumer's still so, and, and Jim, consumer's so, so strong still, et cetera, et cetera. So they need to have a better body of work, a bigger body of work. So he could very well change that. He could very well take that more hikes from the table off the table, and that would be a major rally event, not only in equities, but in yields, and I don't think that's what he wants to do right now. Let's, let's go through some stocks that are making news today that you all own, because um, I, I want to get to as much stocky stuff as we can. Um, Johnson Johnson, Johnson & Johnson's a drag today on the Dow Surratt, which you own. Uh, it was downgraded today, and that's the reason why the stock is selling off. It's the equal weight taken off overweight at Wells Fargo. The price target's cut by seven bucks to 163 from 170. There it is at 154. It's down two thirds of one percent. Um, price weighted, so you, you obviously have the the uh, impact on the Dow the way it is. But what's what's your take here? Yeah, look, I, I think this is a downgrade because there's no short-term catalyst. This is why you own a stock like JJ. It trades at 14 times next year's earnings. It's going to grow earnings at least five to seven percent with a three percent dividend dividend yield, and that's a you get no multiple expansion and no short-term catalyst. So they've got great products. The overhang is the talcum litigation. That will play itself out. So I think when you own stocks like J&J, high quality, when they're out of favor, and then you kind of own it for a while. Well, you suggest it'll play itself out. In quotes, you just said that of, of the talc litigation. They believe, Wells, that it's going to remain an overhang. It, it is going to remain an overhang, but as soon as that gets solved, what will happen is the momentum investors will come in and then you get multiple expansion, which kind of happens. So it's hard to time those things. But in the meantime, even if the stock stays at 14 times and grows 7%, you're still getting a 7 to 10% return. All-time high today for Vertex, Joe. That's yours. Non-opioid nerve pain treatment succeeding in a mid-stage trial. We could take a look at Vertex shares today. Um, they're up 35% on the year and up a lot of that's coming from today, 11%. Absolutely. VX548, this is a non-addictive uh, non drug to treat chronic nerve pain uh, surrounding diabetes. This company is trying to diversify. It's diversifying. It's known as for its treatment of cystic fibrosis. The company is diversifying. It's reasonably valued. There's very strong momentum in place. It's a stock that has been in the quality momentum ETF since April of 2022, and I think it continues to march higher. All right, Bryn, what do you want to make of this Tesla recall? Two million vehicles. Yeah. Um, it's an awful lot, obviously. Uh, the stock is down near 3%. You own it, so what's your read on it? So when the Apple 15 came out and it started overheating, did we go out and say that Apple was doing a recall of the Apple 15? No, they did a software update. Yet everyone's like freaking out because Tesla is gonna recall, I'm putting in quotes, two million cars. When in reality, they've already done or are about to do a software update. And so I think this is a great example of what car company in the history of the world has ever had to do something to two million cars and they can do a simple software update. And so I think obviously people get hyped up about Elon, but I think this is a really good example about what a sophisticated technology company is that not one car is going into the dealer. This is all done over the internet. And so sure, but it, it, is a lot I, of, it is a lot of vehicles. Um, 
I feel, right. like, you're, and I feel like you're being a little dismissive of, of the issue itself, which is not exactly the first time that we are discussing uh, the autonomous driving with, with this company, what it really can do, what it can't yet do, what it's promised to do, and all stops in between that. I, I think I have a Tesla. And I keep my hands on the wheel because I'm not comfortable saying, here, go drive my car at 80 miles an hour. Okay, so I, I totally get it. And so if people are going to use it, and Tesla's going to continue to try to move towards full self-driving, they have to have belts and suspenders. So I appreciate what they're doing with what's called auto steer. So I'm not dismissing it at all, but I'm just trying to parse through that the headlines are all saying this is a recall, meaning that a recall is cars are going to have to go into the shop. That's going to be very labor intensive. What's going to be the hit to margins, et cetera. So I'm talking from a financial perspective. It's not going to be a hit because they're going to be able to software update. The full self-driving I've always contended, I think is years out because I still think that there's just still so much to learn. But I do believe that the one company that will be able to reach full self-driving and potentially license it out to other companies in the future will be Tesla. So definitely not dismissing the, the danger of people just letting the car go and watching TV, that's, that's absurd. And so I, I appreciate the update that they're doing, but I think that the recall, the commentary that it's a recall is, is, a mis is, is not No, is but not I mean, it's a little... Uh, my only point was to to com compare it to a, a software update on an iPhone, uh, I think is a little bit of a stretch. Listen, full self-driving, this is a, listen, humans, humans are terrible drivers, first of all, right? People are on their phone, they're not making sense. So, so, so I get the want for us to have the ability to have safer roads, less accidents, um, less deaths, right? We're trying to protect human lives. And so I'm all for making this safer. So I just think that they are doing the update. They are following the rules. If you read what Tesla put out, they're like, we're constantly looking at safety. And, you know, once again, the stock's down about 2.6% today. Um, but I think they will move past this and they're trying to do full self-driving. This won't be the last time, right? Because when you're letting a vehicle drive by itself, we're still not there yet, so I still keep my hands on the wheels because I'm not ready to let I'm not ready to let a robot drive my car or a I computer drive my car. I got you. There's another uh, some interesting calls today since we're talking about Tesla and we bring it to the, you know these larger cap technology stocks. Weiss, truest today. How about this? A three-year price target on Microsoft of 600 bucks. Hmm. We believe Microsoft can grow revenue and free cash flow in the mid-teens, driven by upside potential to consensus numbers in AI, Azure, Copilot, which could propel shares to compounding strong gains. Stock's not getting uh, any lift off of this call, but for a $374 stock to say in three years it's going to be 600 you say what? I'd say directionally, that's the direction it's going. So whether it gets to 500 or 600, in my view, the stocks can go up. Look, people talk about Microsoft's expensive, but if you take a look at Microsoft on a trailing 12 basis, the stocks where it was 
on that valuation over the last two years. So going back to the complete free money time, the valuation is the same. Now you could say, well, okay, that was free money, maybe it should come down. But when you take a look at the products that they have, that truest references, and that has yet to really pay dividends in terms of new subscriptions, they have raised some prices, but to me, this is just a recurring revenue story with significant pricing power and significant products in the offing. So I believe that this continues to be the number one, the number one technology company actually in the entire market. Joe, we get some. Are we going to have any dispersion between the Mag Seven in, in 2024? This is a year when everything went up. I've heard people raise the case. Well, not not all of the Mag Seven stocks are going to, you know, be the kinds of winners they were in calendar year 2023, but yet I see call after call after call of top picks at various firms, all talking about the same stocks we've been talking about all year. So we just mentioned a three-year price target of 600 bucks on Microsoft. JP Morgan naming Amazon and Alphabet top 2024 picks. There's all sorts of optimism around the metas of the world, and Apple is now back above three trillion in market cap. It's had a, a, you know, a resurgence of momentum behind it too. Yeah, I mean, first of all, hearing the Microsoft price target, you think to yourself, forget about a $4 trillion company, we're going to see a $5 trillion company. I mean, that, that just seems, this seems as though once we got through uh, a trillion and then two trillion, there's no more ceiling. But I, I do think there, there's always going to be outperformance um, amongst the mega caps. You saw that clearly this year with Meta and NVIDIA outperforming significantly. I think Alphabet and Apple actually were the two underperformers from the MAG7. And, and if I look at each of those, I think there is a little bit more upside potential in Alphabet above Apple. Uh, I still see that we've got this slowing economic condition, and I think that's going to affect both Alphabet and Apple. But I, I like the opportunity that sits in front of Alphabet from the standpoint of generative AI. Um, I, I, I think they're positioned well in that regard. So I think you get a little bit of outperformance there. Uh, and then in 2024, I do think Amazon comes back strongly uh, once again in a year in which it was up 75%. I, I agree with you on Alphabet, and clearly I own it, but I do wonder, particularly with the decision that came out you know, on their, on their uh, services, which is about $12 billion in operating income, and how that impacts Apple, which had a positive decision against Epic. I don't know how that turns out. Then you have the antitrust concerns, and they've always skated all the companies, except Microsoft years ago, have always skated past that. I don't know. At some point, you know, it's like Don, you know, Real like quick. Gotti. I mean, right. is it going to be the Teflon tech trade still? So that's where I have concerns. Uh, Real, Real, Real I mean, the, the catalyst also could be with, with Alphabet. I like Alphabet is, do you take YouTube out? You can actually break up these companies, too, and then you get a complete sum of the parts. So there is that upside on that, too. Okay, we're going to come back. Uh, we'll do some calls of the day. i got several stocks in front of me. Roblox, Uber, DR Horton, Lowe's, Thermo Fisher. We're trading all of them next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Let's do these calls of the day. Uh, Bryn, you first. Roblox initiated overweight today at Wells. The target is $49, growing audience platform, not just gaming, untapped advertising opportunities. What do you say? We don't talk about this stock all that often. Yeah, it's done, you know, it's done really well. I think it's up about 40%, 45% year to date. Obviously, it had a terrible 2022. What you need from Roblox, I think a lot of people know the story. It's a sticky platform, growing users. But really what you want to see is that free cash flow stop being so volatile. Last quarter, the free cash flow was around 50, 59 million. The quarter before, it was negative 95 million. In, the, in, in 2020, you were like doing 150, 190 million of free cash flow. Obviously, that was COVID. But I think longer term, to get to that, to get above 50, we're going to start having to see some free cash flow consistency. So that's what I'm looking for. I really like the name. I like Dave Bazuki, the founder, CEO. But above 50, I think you have to be consistently free cash flow positive. Surat, Uber. Um, this stock has been on a run, okay? JP Morgan names it now its top pick, target to 76 from 62. We've had, you know, I think Jenny has trimmed a little bit. Um, I think Josh Brown trimmed a tiny bit because the stock's been just on this run. What about you? Same. I'm going to start trimming it. I'm probably going to trim it in the earlier part of the year just for tax reasons. But it's been a home run for us. It's done everything we wanted. Momentum investors like Joe are in it now. So basically, they have to execute. And if they have one misstep, that stock's coming back to the 40s. So I want to take some off the table only because it's become too big a position. And, and I'll bring it back to a normal size. Did you not like did you not like that? I, when have, you said to correct, I have to correct Surat on this one. I saw your face. It's, that's actually not why face. I bought Uber. I bought Uber at 36. I, I'm just and I, oh, okay. But I, let me explain why. I bought Uber at 36, and I really bought it on the belief that they just they are mobility. You know, they they reach this moment where they they. Uh, they had the inflection point on the balance sheet. They got the balance sheet in a much better place, and they signaled that we are your mobility. We're going to deliver whatever it is that you want. So I actually trimmed a little bit on Friday, and that's just portfolio management. Totally. Because as the, as the, as the stock moves higher, mm -hmm. it just grows in, in, yeah. in terms of what your overall portfolio the, the, the is. But I still, think, I still yeah. think when I hear 70s, yeah. I think it could go into well, the 70s yeah. easily. There's a catalyst there with the freight business to see what they're going to do with that because that's money losing, and they're trying to get out of all their money losing businesses. They're not going to stay in that. That business yeah. is too tough for them. Call your money to have the owns it too. They don't have the infrastructure um, I, I did trim a little also, but only only a little. Yeah, that seems to be what, what many uh, are doing or, you know, around the show. What about DR Horton, Joe, which you own? Is it? So it gets an upgrade today. Look, these stocks have been trading around all-time highs. The, the builders have. Is it too late to get now all bulled up on builders like this? 
upgrade I, it to outperform I, I, now? I always say I don't use valuation as a guide to where stocks are going. So I'm not going to fall back and say this, these are cheap stocks. Let's see what the stocks they, done they, year to date. Obviously, Can you put that up are, for me, please, in the control room. They, they obviously are cheap stocks. But what I will say is that we right now in residential real estate are in a transactional recession. It's just transactions are not I know, happening. Stocks up 57% year to date. And that, and that speaks towards the incredibly low inventory that we have in this country of homes in particular for new homes. So these companies are in the sweet spot. They've managed their balance sheets absolutely phenomenally. And as the transactional recession begins to unlock itself, as we begin to see mortgage rates fall and you see people move from off the sidelines to quickly capture and take advantage of the fall in rates, these companies are going to benefit. So I do, I do think there's further upside. It has to be I, one I of the most counterintuitive yeah. trades and moves of the entire year. Right. I mean, you come into the year, you're like yeah, the absolutely. housing market's completely frozen. Mortgage rates hit as high as like eight percent. Obviously, anything housing related is not going to do well, especially when it comes to builders. Right. And then well, you're up 50 something percent and bigger gains than that for all time highs in the entire space. It, it's consistent with what's happened with rates, though, with them coming down. So that's what the proxy is for equity players. I don't view them as cheap. I mean, 10 times is cheap relative to the market, but 10 times sort of where these things have sold that yeah. forever. So on a relative basis to the market, they're cheap. On a relative basis to the sector, they're not. They're fairly valued. So, Rob, real quick, Thermo Fisher, uh, outperformed Wells, 575 target. You own it. Fabulous company. They, they had all the pull-in for COVID. Now they're going to actually have some earnings expansion. I think you want to own this stock. They are one of the premier players out there. 500 even. All right, let's get the headlines now with Christina Partinevelos. Hi, Christina. Hi, Scott. This morning, President Biden met with the families of Americans being held hostage by Hamas. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and the Deputy National Security Advisor also attended. A White House official said eight Americans are still unaccounted for since the fighting began, including those being held hostage. Business Roundtable today released its fourth quarter CEO economic outlook survey results. The overall index ticks slightly up from last quarter with plans for hiring and sales expectations both making gains. The CEOs pointed to labor cost at the highest cost pressure and said that getting rid of onerous regulations and improving the tax system are key to growth next year. Scott, this story is just for you. If you've ever wanted to drink Doritos, now is your chance. The chip company is partnering with drink company Empirical to launch Doritos-flavored alcohol called Nacho Cheese Spirit. The company said the drink was made using real chips and extracting their essence. Not your ordinary booze, Scott. All right. I appreciate you thinking of me with that one. Christina, thank you. We'll see you later. Christina Partsinevelos. Up next, gold, it's ticking higher ahead of today's Fed decision. Now the desk is going to debate if it is a good bet for your portfolio. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. 
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Bank of America today says bet on gold stocks into 2024. They're bullish into the summer. Joe, you own gold. You own the GLD. Yeah. And you I'm like ready. this call? I'm going to continue to own this. I think it's it's almost uh, as if, if you've got a, a degree of insurance in place for further economic contraction and the disinflation that we're seeing both present here in the U.S. and accelerating in Europe and Asia, really intensifying in 2024. So I'm going to maintain the position. I think it's the right position to have because that's the uh, economic climate in which gold generally works best. Brian, are you playing gold at all? Not right now. We haven't been in it in a couple of years. I think that you have to just own it if you're going to own it. Because look, look what happened with gold when yields went down. It just went parabolic and then it's kind of petered out. So I just think it's like there's 10 different reasons why gold should rally or not rally. And it tends to do none of the above. But I think that that central central banks are buying a lot more gold. You can say geopolitical uncertainty own gold. We just own other commodities right now, but I totally understand the short and long-term reasons to buy gold. And don't forget, as I said, central banks are buying a lot of gold right now. I mean, they, they are bullish on Newmont, um, mm-hmm. is Bank of America. In terms of mining stocks, Weiss, if you want to just pivot, they are, everybody on the show today owns Freeport. Yeah. Why, why is that a stock of choice right now? It's stock of choice uh, because it's easy to understand the supply-demand characteristics, pure and simple. You know what supply is coming on, and the, the answer is not much, if any, aside from you know some more efficiencies, but you see the demand equation. So it's actually another way to play housing, which is a cheap way to play. It's another way to play commercial construction. But it's also the way to play EVs. Now, EVs, in my view, continue to disappoint. So that may keep a lid in the stock because a lot of people are in it for that reason. So we'll wait to see. But it's, but I look at, for me, in case I'm wrong, the economy softening and the economy reaccelerates. This should work in case I'm wrong on China because China is a wild card here and they, their economy continues to atrophy. So if they reaccelerate, which I don't see anytime soon, mm-hmm. then this takes off. So right now it's going to trade 35 to 40. All right. We'll do a quick break. Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word. We're back right after this. I agree with you. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, we're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli uh, joins us now. Okay, so you tell us what you're thinking about. 
You know, normally this is the time in the Fed cycle when I say, you know, the market usually pulls itself in a neutral spot going into the meeting. It doesn't want to necessarily be leaning one way. Hard to make that case right now. Obviously, the market's been just grinding higher. We're at a 20-month high. S&P futures at 4,700 exactly. And the 10 years back basically on its lows again. So uh, clearly the, the kind of buildup of data going into this meeting and this decision uh, has been so strong that it's led to a level of confidence that we're going to get what we want. We, meaning the market, wants the confirmation of the soft landing. We'll wait. There could be a sell the news response, of course, but I think there's a high threshold for alarm uh, at this point, meaning that the market probably isn't going to be that jolted by what happens, mainly because they can just look at the numbers. Are we going to pay more attention to some of the earnings guidance and maybe the fact the fourth quarter numbers are sliding a bit? That could, uh, could happen, but you know, there's only 11 trading days in the year after. Yeah, that's true. Do you want to comment on that? I mean, you think about the sell on the news idea that Mike puts forth. Yeah, I, I do. And, and I guess, you know, the question that I have, Mike, is, is do you believe that the Federal Reserve really concerns itself on where markets are? Because we've heard so much about yeah. markets moving so significantly since the last meeting. I don't think very acutely, no. I Certainly not the stock market at this level. Look, a stock market at a level where it was two years ago is no definition of, wow, the market's a little crazy. We've had no IPOs. We're not doing risky lending right now. All the stuff that impacts the real economy in terms of in market terms is not necessarily something that seems like it's really pushing hard against what the Fed wants to get done. Do they care if the Fed funds futures market says that by May or June there's going to be a cut? I kind of doubt it. I mean, maybe they would if it really was pulled forward or if, if they felt as if it was leading to other behaviors that was causing inflation to get more supported. But um, I don't think so. I think that the stock market itself especially is, look, it's fine. You know. I mean, we've rallied off of a bear market low. We, the, yeah. the stock market does that when it deems that there's a reason to, sure. to do that. And in this case, it's okay. The economy's better than we thought to this point and the Fed. Yeah. Inflation's lower than we thought at this point and the Fed. Yeah. So let's see what happens now. It fits together. You can definitely argue if 19 plus times earnings is the right number and whether you want to adjust that and whether in fact parts of the market have properly priced in some slowdown risk or not. But no, I agree in general that there hasn't been anything uh, really out of whack. The other point to what you just said is we can't answer that question yet. No. We need to wait until we get you know, some talk about earnings and the numbers come in and we'll see if we're offsides or just about right. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. I mean, look, again, you've had these periods where the market just sort of winds itself higher into the end of a year mm -hmm. and volatility is so low. And then you get maybe the early year rush in January and then something really knocks uh, knocks over the apple cart because it just got too one sided. But I'm not sure if we're there yet. All right. We'll see what we do uh, a couple hours from now. Mike, thanks. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. We come back. We are going to trade the all-time high club. A bunch of names hitting new records in today's session. Got some ownership on the desk. We'll play it next. All right, we got a number of all-time highs today, so we want to trade some of these stocks. Joe, MasterCard. Highest since the IPO since uh, May of 06. Both MasterCard and Visa we've owned since the middle of 2022. Perfect names to own in an environment 
where the cost of capital continues to move higher. These companies are transactional. They're not worrying about taking credit risk themselves. Financial services companies in the financial sector, great names to continue owning into 24. Uh, Costco, all-time high. How come no one, this is the whole segment's Joe. I didn't even realize that until just Well, we're talking about stocks at all-time highs. Booking holdings. Buy buy high, sell sell higher. Well, are you selling any of these? No, we're not selling (laughs) Booking holdings, Chipotle. You know what? I'm going to throw all the list out, and you just decide which one you want to talk about. Anybody else can chime. Booking holdings, Chipotle, Ross, Costco, KLAC, Palo Alto, and Synopsis. All right. Three names stand out to me because they've been in the quality momentum ETF since inception. Costco, Clack, and Synopsis. All three companies hit the mark on earnings consistently throughout the period of the last three years, and momentum has taken hold. Um, Palo Alto is a more recent ad. You know my feelings on cybersecurity. Chipotle, we've had that in there since April of 2021. The one that surprises me is Booking Holdings. Um, I was suspicious about the performance for Booking Holdings because of the exposure to the Middle East, and you saw a lot of uh, capital moving into Expedia over the last three months. I thought that would be at the detriment of Booking Holdings. Surprised at how strong that has been. Surat, I'm kind of surprised you don't own any of these. I own Visa MasterCard. He's not a momentum player. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. You do. You own Visa and MasterCard. I'm sorry. uh, We did MasterCard, and then I was like, Visa, wow, we don't need to do that. We just did MasterCard, so I moved on. They're both toll collectors at the end of the day. Yeah. The biggest negative is that, you know, do you get Congress coming after them again, which every once in a while you do. But what I like about them is as the consumer has issues with credit, they don't get affected at all because they're just collecting on volume. I take back my criticism of you. Weiss, let me move to criticize you. Feels better doing that anyway. You don't own any of these. <laughs> yeah, that must be a typo. Why? <laughs> no Visa or MasterCard? He just bought them oh, all. Serious. No he Visa. owns them. No. no you don't uh, own Visa or MasterCard? I don't. I, I used to own Visa. I, I thought it got expensive, so I sold it. Um, that was a while Costco? ago. Costco? Why no Costco? Uh, no Palo Alto? I think Alto? it's expensive. I think expensive. Ditto with Palo Alto. I own Palo Alto. Palo Alto made some good dough in it, but I don't think they're cheap. So, so I don't own them. So you I've do own some, the Joe T. I, mean. I do own the Joe T, and and I have a lot of exposure there, including to the other 450 stocks he owns. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm good. All right. <laughs> we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Well, that hurts. We're going to do the setup to Adobe because they report an OT. Uh, we're back after this. Oh. <laughs> oh. What's the setup, Joe? Uh, Adobe reports in OT. Uh, setup on Adobe. You with me? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, okay. Steve Adobe. makes me laugh sometimes. Adobe. Apologize. Um, generative AI. That has to be the story. Firefly. When is it going to be monetized? Uh, 2024. Conservative guidance might be what holds back the stock from advancing to the November of 2021 high at 699. Bryn, you say you wish you owned it. Yeah, you know, if you actually go back decades, most stocks don't even outperform the 90-day T-bill, much less the S&P. Adobe, Costco, there's a few names. I mean, Adobe has recurring revenue, 
to Joe's point, they're in the thick of AI, which they will monetize. And so it's they have this flywheel that I think they'll continue to be a winner. I own the Qs, so yes, and it's in the top 10, so I own it. But I would love to have owned this name years ago. All right. Finals right after this break. We got a big closing bell, of course, right after the Fed chair finishes with the news conference. Jeffrey Gunlock of Double Line is going to join us in a CNBC exclusive. It's our last visit of the year. Very much looking forward to what he has to say about what might happen uh, today and what could happen next, most importantly. So we'll see you at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Josh Brown, Liz Young with me, too. Bryn, what's your final trade? OILK attracts the front month oil futures contracts. It's a trade only. If it doesn't work out in the next month, sell it. It's K1 free, and I think oil's at technical support, so we can get a nice bounce over the next few weeks. Thank you. Steve Weiss. I'm riding momentum in humanity. It should recover everything it lost. Surat. Amex, I think you're going to see much more spending for millennials. going to help it. All right. Joey T. In honor of my good friend Stephen Weiss, Eli Lilly continues to push higher. Okay. So we got the S&P. We got the Dow. The NASDAQ are higher. Yields, they fell today, all leading up to what happens in just a little bit. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.